Good morning from me as well. The Lord's blessing upon all of you and those at home. This message is called Jesus Gives Us Peace as we're working our way through John. And the first thing I want to say is this message has got a 12A certificate. So if there's any young children watching at home or here, um, just uh, parents, be careful. There might, you might need the mute button in one or two places. The next thing I want to say will please almost all of you, but perhaps not one or two of you, and that is my message today is quite short, even for me. Um, and there are two reasons for that. We had a whopper two-hour session here last night, and I anticipated you all being here and having loads to chew over, and I didn't want to get in the way of you chewing over uh, last night's excellent ministry. But also, um, I've run out of things to say. Um, after a little while. And what you don't want me to do is pad it. So I believe I will say what I need to say and I'll leave it with the Lord. Um, if you want longer, sometimes we're longer on Sundays, we're long on Thursdays and in our evening specials on a Sunday night sometimes. But there's a place for short, perhaps most proved by a famous speech which was 271 words long and began with the now famous phrase, Four score and seven years ago. What was it? It was in 1863. What was it? It was said by Abraham Lincoln. What was it? The Gettysburg Address. It lasted two and a half minutes and it shaped all liberal democracies to this day. Did you know, though, that he wasn't the keynote speaker that day and someone spoke before him? Do you know who that was? You don't. Do you know how long he spoke for? Two and a half hours. <laughs> 13,607 words, but nobody remembers what he said or even his name. Edward Everett, by the way. But everybody remembers two and a half minutes. So, perhaps not in impact, but definitely in the shortness theme, Here's my Gettysburg address, although it will be slightly more than two and a half minutes. And my message is based on the passage, and last week, it stems from it, and last week, the passage taught us that humans exist for one reason, to glorify God. That's when you're at your best and most alive. So we make life choices and prayers and everything we do centering around, giving glory to God. God has got a purpose for all of you here, and it's way more than you wake up, you earn some money, you eat some food, you go to sleep, you wake up, you earn some money, you eat some food, you spend some money, you go to sleep again. Everyone here is designed to know God and glorify in Him. And today... I have a, pa a question linked to that, and it's from the same passage. It's from a verse or two. Here we go, 26 of John 14. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. And here's verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. 
here's my question in this short message, shorter message today. What is peace? And have you got it? Where do you find it? Peace. Because loads of people find some sort of peace that doesn't involve God or Jesus. So what's he talking about? Do you need his peace? Or have you got your own? Here's another question. If Jesus offers peace, why are so many people, maybe even here, definitely across the world today, not at peace? You ever thought about that? Why? If he offers peace, why aren't you at peace? Is your life smooth sailing? Is Jesus wrong when he says you can have peace? Let's get real. Some people are not in this church today because once upon a time in their lives, they called out for God, to God, for peace. And they think he didn't offer it. So now they don't come here anymore. Do they? And what they mean is, there's something really rattling me and I want it gone from my life. Remove it. And he didn't. So they're not here today and they're not worshipping him today. Are we here because we gloss over this? He doesn't really give us peace, but nobody talk about it. We'll come to church anyway and we'll have blind faith. But then tomorrow we'll tackle all of our problems with no peace because really it's just me to sort it. But we come to church anyway because it's a social club and I've got mates there. But the difficult questions like, what's peace and do I really have it? We gloss over that because I'm not sure Jesus was telling the truth here when he said, I give you peace. Because I don't have it, but I'm here anyway for other reasons. Or do people not come to church in this community because they look at Christians who talk about peace, but practically the Christians reach out for the same things to numb their pain as the world does. Shopping sprees, alcohol binges, whatever, just to numb the pain. So the world knows really, in practice, we don't have anything really peaceful in any different way than they've got. Is that why people aren't here today? This is a whopping question. What is peace? And is Jesus telling the truth when he says that we can have his peace? And it gets even more interesting. Because he says this in John chapter 14 to a group of people called the disciples who are about to go and take the church across the whole world in the power of the Holy Spirit. Did they have peace? I've been reading about the disciples' lives and what happened after these passages in a book called The Book of the Twelve. You should read it. It's on the internet. You can buy it. I'm going to tell you what happened to these people who he promises peace to. Peter, one year before Paul was killed, Peter was killed. It was one of Nero's last commands, though he didn't get to kill Peter himself because he died and someone else came in his place and did it for him. And he was crucified upside down where St. Peter's Basilica stands now in Rome. Here's the text. Peace I leave with you. Peter, my peace I give you. 
Andrew, crucified in Neopatris near Thessaly in Greece, crucified on an X-shaped cross with ropes so he could die over a prolonged period of time from thirst and nobody gave him any water. And by the way, while he was up there, he was preaching to all the people who were watching him die. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. James the Greater, one of the sons of thunder, the older brother of John, executed by Herod without trial. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. John, the younger brother of James, exiled in Patmos. It's unclear what happened to him next. I actually still think he's alive, but that's a topic we'll cover on a Thursday as to why I think that. But even being exiled, and whatever happened to him, it's not easy. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Philip, one of the few that died in old age, 87 years old. But old age isn't easy, is it? It's never clean and cut and dry. It's old age can be painful and debilitating. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Nathaniel, also known as Bartholomew, he was of noble birth. Here's the 12a part. He was skinned alive and crucified in Armenia. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Matthew, also known as Levi, brother of James the Younger, stabbed to death by swords on an altar, probably in Mozambique. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Judas, Thomas, or you'll know him as Thomas, also known as Didymus, or the twin, stabbed by a glaive, and that's a big blade on a long pole, in India. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. James the Younger, Joseph's nephew, Jesus' cousin, son of Alphaeus, beaten to death with sticks in Jerusalem. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Judas, Thaddeus, you'll know him as Jude. 12a, skull crushed by a mace and then beheaded in Armenia. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Simon, the Canaanite, also known as the Zealot. Not too sure what happened to him because he gets jumbled up sometimes with another Simon. But it's likely he was killed in Britain, in Lincolnshire. And Tertullian says at least one apostle came to Britain with the gospel. Killed in cold, rainy Lincolnshire. Far from my loved ones, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Matthias, killed by priests, debating that Jesus was the divine Messiah in the Old Testament. So they stoned him to death for blasphemy and cut off his head in Jerusalem. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And do you ever think this? If God was in my suffering, I would understand what's going on immediately. Like, it would be just clean and crisp, and I could interpret why it's happening to me. It wouldn't have any awkwardness, or I wouldn't stay up too much at night. I would just know that He's allowing me to go through a period of difficulties. 
We expect sometimes our suffering to be smooth. And if it's smooth, that means God's hand is in it, where there's clear lessons for me to grow as a Christian in it. But in reality, some people, for them, what you're going through, maybe even today, is horrible and difficult and tiring and painful and you feel alone. And that's when you're tempted to say, there is no peace in this for me because I can't see the narrative through the fatigue I'm currently in. Someone shared with me yesterday, I am in constant pain for the first time in my life. There's no let up. And first thing in the morning and last thing at night, it gets me really low, like I've not known before. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And in my short 38 years, I've known many people suffer deeply in their lives. Deaths of children, chronic fatigue, loss of stability, loss of homes, car crashes, natural disasters, botched operations, suicides, drug overdoses, beatings, abuse, psychological and physical and sexual and marital. People sin against people and are sinned against. Rape, kidnap, beatings, drownings, and the list goes on and on and on. And here's the words to his followers then, and this passage also says to all who believe, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. So, it boils down to this. Either Jesus is wrong and doesn't really offer anyone peace, and we are better off going on a massive booze binge after this to numb the pain, or a huge shopping spree just to numb and escape, or our understanding of peace needs to be slightly tweaked. And I think Jesus has got a track record of being right. So here's what I think is going on in John chapter 14 and what is on offer for everyone listening, whatever you're going through. And why, if you're not a Christian, you should become one right now. Or if you already are one, to carry on whatever you're facing. The disciples are about to take the church global. They get the Spirit in greater measure than ever before to do it. And in that mission, they're told, you can have peace. They're not promised you'll be spared from being skinned alive or crushed with a mace. But you can have peace in it. And here's Jesus' view of true peace. And it is quite astonishing indeed. It's in verse 28. The Father is greater than I. Now have some peace. Remember, the Father is greater than I. Now off you go, die. But have peace. The Father's greater than I. Now Muslims and Jehovah's Witnesses love that verse. Because they're now thinking, I told you Allah was the true God or Jehovah and he's just a mathematical singularity and there is no trinity and Jesus isn't equal with the Father. He's just a nice guy and he was a prophet and he did his best. But we then say, 
wait. That's not what he's saying. Because all the way through the Old and New Testament, Jesus is seen as equal with the Father. Okay? He is God. All over the Bible that one is. And even here, when he says this sentence, he's proving that he is God. And in that, there's the peace that you can have. So it means something else. Here's what it means according to the Bible. Here's a question. Is a parent greater than their child? What do you think about that? The answer is yes, sort of. Is a teacher greater than her pupils? Kath? Where's Kath gone? Yes, I'm saying it for her. Kath is greater than her pupils. As a dad, you might say, son, go and brush your teeth. Because in my role, I'm greater. And if he gives me back chat, I win. And he goes and brushes his teeth. Or Kath might say, pupils, homework in tomorrow. And they'll go, definitely, miss. <laughs> yes, I've done it already in anticipation of my love for you. Because you're such a good teacher. But the pupils don't say, right, miss, homework my desk tomorrow. Um, children will go, right, um, you brush your teeth, Dad. Or they don't go, I'll handle buying the home that we're going to move into. Leave the mortgage stuff with me. I'll do that one today. Um, in between watching Star Wars cartoons, I'll handle the legal fees and the solicitors. Leave that one with me, because I'm greater than you. Like, everything would implode on that sort of level. But, in another real way, are we equal in value. Of course we are. Of course we are. Is Kath equal in value and the children equal in value to her? Of course. And did you know Jesus loves the Father so much and trusts him so much, the Trinity just harmoniously have roles that they love to exchange um, well, not exchange, but carry out in their roles. And the Father, according to the Bible, is the decision maker, the greater one, the one who calls the shots. And the Son is the great carrier outer. And the Holy Spirit is the great strength and love and power giver. Unity, but diversity, and roles, and greatness. And the Trinity are united in this will that the Father calls the shots. He's great. That's why the Nicene Creed teaches the Father is the source of all the power and the director of life. I got loads of long theological papers if you want to read more about that subject, by the way. But for now, in this shorter Gettysburg address, just know this before you go back outside. When it comes to peace, Jesus is so godly, so humble, only God could be this humble. Because we're rubbish at humility. He's proving he's God because he's so humble. And he says, for true peace, look to the Father. I'm God. That's godliness. Look to someone else who isn't me for help. We're nothing like that with power. Because we're not humble and we're not God. But he says, go up. Nothing is mindless that you've been through last week. 
Nothing is random. Jesus is off to die for sinners. And he says, my father is great. Have peace. He's calling the shots on this one. He knows what he's doing. He says to his disciples, and by the way, he's greater than you too. Now off you go and have peace. He says that to you too. You're going to die. But the father's great. It won't be an accident or a mistake. He knows the hairs on your head. And in 2023, there's wars and chaos and sin and death and illness. And none of it is outside of the workings and the upholdings of the Father. And in tears, you can still know someone is great in this. Great in scope. Great in plan. And he is able and he can keep, and he can guide, and I trust it because it's been demonstrated and taught by Jesus who went down but then came back up, and look at him now. And you know, the apostles went out, and they had peace, and it was brutal, and now the gospel is in Cardiff because of them, because there's a plan to save from the horrors of sin and death and suffering. And nobody hates sin and death and suffering more than God the Father. Nobody, not even you. And you can find peace in that and keep going and keep trusting. And the world doesn't have that peace, obviously. It's for the Jesus people. It's for the Jesus people to have him as their father, just like he's his father. And Jesus says, my father is great. Now, look at my life and my story. Look what he does with me. Now, think what he's going to do with you. His story's still going on. And you're a part of it. So you can trust it. So Christians, all things work together for good. That doesn't mean what you're going through right now is good. It's tough. It's hard. It's horrible. It's working. Something's going on because the Father's great. Do you know what I don't like doing? Eating raw flour. Do you like doing that? Do you know what else I don't like doing? Eating a raw egg. Do you know what else I don't like doing? Eating salt on its own. Do you know what I do like doing? Eating pancakes. Do you know what happens with all those ingredients? Although I didn't check if those are the ingredients of pancakes. Probably should have done. What happens when all those horrible things on their own merge together in the great plan of the oven? They become pancakes. And I like eating pancakes. And you might be eating horrible salt at the moment. But there's a pancake at the end of the day. Because the Father is great. And I don't know what that will look like exactly for any of us. But the Father is great. And some of you are so tired and battered. Most of this has gone over your head at the moment. So remember this at least. Jesus went to Calvary for you. He's risen for you Christians. So you may have lost the peace of God. Like in one way at the moment. Like feeling it. But you can never lose the peace of God really. Because he's died and he's risen for you. And you are safe. He's got you. I'm going to close with a famous story. A man has a horse, 
and you heard it, and the horse runs away, and the neighbor says to the man, oh, that's bad luck, I guess there's no God. The horse came back a week later and brought 20 other horses with him. And the neighbor said, hey, that's good luck. There must be a God looking after you. One of the horses broke the man's son's leg. The neighbor came along and said, oh, the horse has broken your son's leg. That's bad luck. I guess God isn't in charge of all of this. No God. A nasty gang of robbers and thieves came into the village looking to recruit young boys to join their terrible deeds and kidnap them. But they didn't pick the boy because he had a broken leg. The neighbor said, hey, that's good luck. I guess there's a God and he is in control. That's exhausting, isn't it? To constantly be speculating. Is there, isn't there with everything that comes into my life each day? So I tell you a better way to live as humans, we trust God. We trust Jesus, who says the Father is greater than I, and peace be with you. And soon, you'll be standing before God, and you will know why he allowed you to go through what you did. But in the meantime, we sing, oh, that my soul could love and praise him more. His beauty's trace, his majesty adore, live near his heart, upon his bosom lean, obey his voice, and all his will esteem. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.